All right. Um, now, before we get well, started, there's yes. some verses about seeking uh, uh, sorcerers. That, is that, that's sinful, isn't it? Seeking sorcerers? Seeking sorcerers? Yeah. Did I what I say? Dorothy's going off to Kansas for a month, and I figured she's after the Wizard of Oz. Oh, I think we ought to pray for her about that. <laughs> you really threw me there for a second. Oh, mercy. <laughs> Dorothy is going to Kansas. Is she taking Toto with her? <laughs> the Tin Man and the whole thing. Okay, all right. <laughs> mercy. All right. Very good, Ron. Good to get us off to a good start there tonight. <laughs> We're going to be looking at uh, starting in chapter 49, but I want to mention something. Chapters 45 through 46 is in Hebrew poetry. In fact, if you look at your Bible, you can see that it's in a different form. And that's not rhyme. The Hebrews didn't have rhyme poetry, but they had rhythm poetry. And so these uh, verses could be, could be chanted or sung around the fireplace uh, and memorized. And so the, almost the entire section from 45 to 66 is poetry. And uh, uh, it's, it's almost all of it we've already seen before. Things mentioned here we've already seen before. That's why we can cover it fairly quickly because it will be redundant and repetitive of things that we have already seen. But notice up here on the board, I have listed the things that we have in these chapters. And again, we've already seen these things over and over. Uh, the kingdom, in fact, that is the main subject. On these ch verses and chapters, that is the main subject. The coming millennial reign of Christ. And I want to remind you that most churches and most seminaries do not teach that. Uh, what happened is that the, in, in the Protestant Reformation... They just picked up on this issue, on the issue of the kingdom, they just picked up what was taught in Catholicism, that the church is the kingdom. The church is the kingdom. And in Catholicism, you have uh, almost an identical uh, repetition of, of kingdom ideas. Uh, the Pope is a representative of Christ here on earth as king. Uh, you have a priestly system. Uh, you have a, a capital city, the, the Rome, uh, which uh, uh, took the place of uh, Jerusalem. And by the way, um, the, uh, the, the, the Catholics do not honor uh, Jerusalem as the capital for Israel because they say we're the kingdom. Catholicism is the kingdom. And so they deny the idea of a millennial Jewish kingdom in which Christ will come from heaven and will reign on, on earth. And so many of the Protestant churches picked up that same idea. They continued the idea that the church is the kingdom. There is no restoration for the Jews. And yet, when you look at the Bible carefully in the Old Testament, this is one of the main subjects. And here in this section from 45 to 66, and already we've seen verse after verse and chapter after chapter of the coming kingdom and the reign of Christ as the anointed one. When we say the anointed one, we're saying Mashiach, HaMashiach, the Anointed One, i.e. Christos, Christ. So when you say Christ, you're saying the Anointed One. He is the Anointed One. Now, in chapters 45 through 66, we have that as one of the, the, the main issue. 
And we've already seen verses, and so as I say, much of this is repetitive. But also look at other sub-subjects that we have on the board, sub-subjects that we've already looked at, but that are in this section. Uh, restoration of the nation of Israel. Peace in the kingdom. Salvation in the kingdom. In the kingdom. The nation of Israel gathered from all the countries of the world and brought back to Jerusalem. The return of the Jews. The tribulation, the wrath of God. A judgment on sin. And the Messiah will reign and He will rule. Now here's a, here's a big question. Why is Jesus going to reign and rule? Why is there a 1,000 year millennial reign? Why? Why is God... Uh, going to have his son reign on earth for a thousand years in Jerusalem over the Jewish people and actually over the entire world. Um, there are we could probably come up with, with hundreds of ideas uh, and thoughts on that, but but basically it's because God is going to demonstrate that He is the author of the last chapter of world history, and the kingdom is the last chapter of the world history, and the, God is in charge through His Son the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus will reign and rule. He will be the sovereign one of the, over the kingdom. The Jewish people will be objects. <clears throat> excuse me. I need to take a lozenger because I'm starting to cough up. The Jewish people are the objects, the earthly objects of His grace. We are objects. The Gentiles are on the church are objects of His salvation. But the Jews are objects of His grace as a nation, as a small nation that God blessed that God made promises to, and that He kept those promises. So that 1,000-year reign of Christ is very, very important in theology. All right, go to chapter 49. <clears throat> chapter 49, and we want to pick up, uh, pick up at this point, 49. And again, you can tell what's going on, and look on the board if as, I, as I speak. You can look up. And oh, by the way, also, I have, we have, uh, some of you can't, may not, may not can see it, but we have a timeline at the bottom of the board. The church, the tribulation, the 1,000 year kingdom reign of Christ, the great white throne judgment in which Christ, I believe, will be the judge of the lost, of the lost, and then the new heaven and new earth, the new heaven and the new earth, and that is mentioned first here in the book of Isaiah. The idea that God is going to, to create an eternal state of the new heaven and the new earth is mentioned in the last couple chapters of the book of Isaiah. So this timeline will help you understand, but we'll be mainly tonight, if you look back at this little, little chart we have up here, we'll be talking about the kingdom, we'll be talking about the tribulation, we'll be talking about the church. The church is not in the Old Testament. We'll be talking about the new heaven and the new earth. And uh, there may be a few verses that could apply to the judgment of the lost, the great white throne judgment, in which the, the lost will stand before Christ and will have to answer for their life, and they will, of course, be rejected, and they are tossed into hell for eternity. There is an eternal uh, state of, of lostness, of, of pain and separation from God. It's a terrible period, uh, a terrible thing that will happen to the lost, I should say. Those who have rejected uh, Christ as Savior rejected the revelation of God. There is an eternal separation from from the Lord. Let's start at chapter forty-nine, and again we'll be not looking at all the verses, but we'll look at some of the, the highlights. In fact, I like to picture little mountain peaks that we'll be looking at, little mountain peaks from forty-nine all the way through sixty-six. 
chapter 49, verse 1. Listen to me, O islands, and pay attention, you peoples, you Gentiles, the nations from afar, the nations that are far off. The Lord called me from the womb. Whoops, here's the Lord, and here's someone who's being called from the womb. This is the Messiah. This is Christ. This is the Lord Jesus. This is, this is, the, this is God speaking to the Son. The Lord called me, Messiah is the me, from the body of my mother. He named me, and he has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he has concealed me, protected me. He has also made me a select arrow. He has hid me in his quiver. And he said to me, you are my servant Israel. Whoops, wait a minute, I thought we were talking about the Messiah. And here it says, you are my servant Israel. Well, what's going on here? Well, this throws us for a moment. You are my servant Israel. But uh, we need to explain that. Dr. Unger was one of my professors and was one of the greatest Old Testament scholars of, of the last century. And here's his explanation on verse 3. You are my servant, capital S, talking to the Messiah. But wait a minute. You're my servant Israel. What's going on here? Here's what Dr. Unger says. He says, the Messiah, Jesus, is the ideal Israel who will save all mankind. And Dr. Unger puts it this way. He says, he would, he would rewrite it this way. You are like my servant Israel. You're like my servant Israel in whom I will show my glory. In you, I will show my glory. Uh, but you're like my servant Israel, the nation of Israel, but you're my servant. Verse 4, but I said, here's the Messiah speaking back now. The Messiah is talking. God, God starts the conversation. And now Jesus the Messiah is answering. And here's what happened when he came to earth. Verse 4 is when he came to earth the first time. I have toiled in vain. When I came to earth, I was rejected. In other words, when I came to earth and presented myself, I toiled in vain. I toiled in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. That is, I was rejected. When he first came, he was rejected. His first coming, there was rejection. When he came to earth, he was rejected by the Jewish people. Yet surely, this is still Christ speaking now, talking, the justice do me, the Messiah, is with the Lord and my reward is with my God and now says the Lord who formed me from the womb to be his servant to be his servant capital S to bring Jacob and when you say Jacob you mean Israel because Jacob was renamed Israel remember and he's the father of the twelve tribes um, uh, to bring Jacob back to him in order that Israel might be gathered to him. When he says, I'll bring Jacob back, I'm going to bring all the children of Jacob. That's the idea. And then he was renamed Israel. Uh, I will bring Israel, i.e. Jacob, back to me, regather him to me, for I have honored, I am honored in the sight of the Lord. The Messiah, Jesus, will be honored in the sight of the Lord. And my God is my strength. Jesus depended upon the Father. He obeyed the Father. He did everything that the Father told him to do when he was here. I was honored in the sight of the Lord, and my God is my strength. 
He says, is it too small a thing that you should be my servant? To raise up the tribes of Jacob or Israel and to restore, to restore the preserved ones of Israel. They're going to be restored. We're seeing that. We're seeing the beginning steps of that, folks. Do you all realize we are in prophetic days? As I speak tonight, we are in prophetic days. Is that being said in most churches? No, it is not. They have no clue, uh, most churches, that we are in prophetic times that God has started the process of restoring the Jewish people uh, back to the land, back to, uh, back to Himself, uh, bringing, them back, bringing them back home to restore the preserved ones, those who have survived, the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light of the nations. Jesus was called the light of the world, the light to the nations. And that's speaking to Jesus from God the Father. I will make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Now look at that. Look at the end of verse 6. My salvation may reach to the end of the earth. I don't think that's talking about the church age. Because the rapture of the church could stop the church age instantly before the gospel reaches all every human being on earth. But during the, during the kingdom, God's salvation will be proclaimed worldwide. Jesus will be reigning and ruling in Jerusalem. And salvation will be made clear and taught to the ends of the earth. Verse 7. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and its Holy One. The Redeemer of Israel and its Holy One. Now, by the way, God is the Redeemer and Christ is the Redeemer. And the book of Isaiah is going to tell us that here in, in just a moment. I want to go to some verses. In fact, the, the, word, the, the concept of being the Redeemer of Israel is mentioned 13 times in the book of Isaiah. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, and saying also is its, its Holy One. To the despised one, Jesus was despised when he came the first time. To the one abhorred by the nation of Israel. The nation would be the nation of Israel. He was despised, he was abhorred by the nation of Israel. To the servant of rulers, kings will see and arise and princes shall also bow down. Because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. Uh, this is a kingdom passage. When the kings and rulers and princes of the nations will recognize the Lord Jesus Christ. They'll recognize Him and see that indeed He was the one promised. He's the one who came to this earth. He will begin His kingdom reign. Verse 8, Thus says the Lord, In a favorable time I will answer you, in a day of salvation, I have helped you. I will help you. Actually, this is prophecy, so it's future tense. I will keep you. He's talking to the Messiah. This is God talking to His Son. I will keep you and give you for a covenant of the people. A covenant for the nation of Israel. Jesus will be a covenant, or was. I could probably we'd say make that a past tense when He said His first coming. He was a contract or a covenant for the people of Israel to restore, look at this, to restore the land, to make them inherit the desolate heritages. Uh, this afternoon I watched uh, Glenn Beck and he had a, a, a Jewish uh, um, uh, politician, uh, member of the government of Israel, 
on his program. And I have never seen a, 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 gover, a, a member of the government of Israel say it so plainly as this man did today. Why should we stop building uh, apartments and, and villages in Israel? It's our land. It was given to us by God. It is our land. We're not going anywhere. <laughs> this land belongs to us. We're not giving it up to the Arabs. Just flat, flat said it and put it, put it straightforward. And that's exactly the way it's supposed to be. By the way, look at look what it says that the Messiah, in the middle of verse 8, will be a covenant, a covenant or a contract to the people of Israel. Um, here's what most scholars say on this, this passage, that Jesus completes the covenant with Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant. All the promises to Abraham are completed by the person of Christ, by the king. He is the one who holds all of the, uh, the, the guarantees, of, if you will, of the Abrahamic covenant, the land, the seed, the blessing. So that covenant, mention of a covenant, is probably a reference to the, to the Abrahamic covenant. All right, let's move on down. Uh, come on down to chapter um, 51. Chapter 51. And I want to start with uh, verse 1 of chapter 51. Uh, the remnant of Israel who will enter the kingdom. The remnant who will enter the kingdom. Chapter 51, verse 1. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness. Any of the Jews reading this pursuing righteousness? Who seek the Lord. Aha! The ears will prick up to those who are reading this passage. Are they, do they have a thirst? Do they have a hunger for righteousness? And do they have a hunger and a thirst for seeking the Lord? Look to the rock from which you were hewn. Look to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father. And to Sarah, who gave birth to you in pain. They're the, the parents of the, of the nation of Israel, if you will. When he was one, I called him, whom I blessed him. Then, then I blessed him and multiplied him, that is Abraham. I blessed him and I called him and multiplied him. <clears throat> Indeed, this one we're talking about, the Lord, he will comfort Zion. And Zion is a reference. Look up here a second. If you drop a, a rock in a pool, watch where the rock hits the water. That's the city of Jerusalem. And then the, 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 the wave comes out. Jerusalem, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. Zion represents Jerusalem. It represents the Jewish people. That word represents Jerusalem. And it represents the Jewish people. Indeed, the Lord will comfort Zion. Boy, are they under pressure right, right now. And it's going to grow. Uh, I am reading one of the, the toughest books I've ever read. And we have a copy in our library over here. Uh, but it's entitled Holocaust. It's the whole story of the German mistreatment of the Jewish people. And the things they went through, I cannot describe it. Uh, and, uh, and yet, despite all the pain, and all the deaths, six million Jews died in World War II. I'm still, as I read this book, it's that thick, it's about almost three inches thick. I'm sitting there thinking, why? Why did the Germans 
uh, I know I know the answer, but you know you're trying to you're trying to get it emotionally in your mind. Why are the Germans hated and despised the Jews so much? And in one of my books, if you if you read the first book that I came out with about over a year ago, uh, Hitler made it very very plain that World War II was about the Jews. That's why World War II happened was because of the Jews. Um, and Hitler said the war will not be over until we have annihilated the Jewish people. This war is about the Jewish people. World War II was about the, the getting rid of the Jewish people. But this book talks about the, the German soldiers and the cruelty that they placed upon the Jews um, as they uh, kept them in these ghettos and kept them in, the, in, the, in prison. And the, the, the evil... Uh, they had a policy that the Jews who worked all day long, about 18 hours a day, at daytime, it was just a, it was just a policy at 6 o'clock at night before they went and had a piece of bread to eat and flopped on their beds in the prisons, that they would just shoot about 20 or 30 of them, just kill them. And the next night they'll kill another 20. Next night they'll just shoot another 20. Uh, and that was the mild cruelty. That was the mild cruelty. Uh, sometimes they pushed them into pits alive, pushed, pushed, pushed dirt on them on the pits and, and, and just machine gun the pits and pour more dirt and pour more, more people half alive, half dead. And the ground would move and spurt blood because of the pressure of all these people in this, in this pit about 20 feet deep. And the blood would spurt up because they were still alive underneath all this. It just goes on and on. You just can't believe it. You can't believe it. Why? Of course, it would start with the hatred of Satan against God's people. Uh, and the fact that Satan knows that they represent the, the kingdom. Uh, and Satan is so stupid, uh, I, I don't know how well he can read, but if, if you could get rid of every Jew, well, then the kingdom would, wouldn't take place. Maybe that's what he's saying. I don't know, who knows? But the hatred of God's people by Satan. And the Germans picked this up, and they were so cruel, unbelievable. Uh, and probably that cruelty just uh, was spawned in about a 20-year period from World War I to World War II. Uh, the, the German people, not all of them, of course, but, but the vast majority, the vast majority, just uh, uh, grew a hatred for the Jewish people that is uh, just almost impossible to explain. Verse 3, again, 51.3, Indeed, the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all the waste places. And her wilderness He will make like Eden, the Garden of Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her. This is kingdom now. This is kingdom. Thanksgiving and sound of a melody will be made. Joy and gladness. And um, the Jewish people have suffered so much, and yet um, God will make the kingdom a great garden place of blessing in which Christ will reign and rule and bring in perfect peace and righteousness. And that will touch the Jewish people. It will touch the Gentiles who survive and enter the kingdom, the kingdom period as well. This is all kingdom now. This has not happened. We're waiting for this to take place. Um, come down to uh, chapter 51, verse, verse 9. Awake, awake. And this is, by the way, coming kingdom, coming kingdom. Awake, awake. Put on strength. Uh, put on the strength of the arm of the Lord. Awake, as in the days of old, the generations of long ago. Was it not you, speaking of God, who cut Rahab in pieces, 
who pierced the dragon. Now, he'd explain something to you because I had to. I had to do a lot of study on what it was he mean about Rahab. Is that Rahab the harlot in, in, uh, uh, in, in, in the land? No, it's not Rahab the harlot. These two terms, Rahab and the dragon, is, is representative of Israel. Poetical names for Israel. In fact, Rahab, the word Rahab means the proud. The pride of the Egyptians. The pride of the Egyptians. Was it not you, God, who cut... May I just put it this way? The Egyptians in pieces who pierced the dragon or Pharaoh or Pharaoh when when God led the Jewish people out of out of Egypt was it not you who cut Rahab that is the proud Egyptian people who pierced uh, 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 Pharaoh was it not you who dried up the sea and the waters of the great deep who made the depths of the sea a pathway when God brought the uh, Jewish people out of Egypt was it not you uh, for the redeemed, the Jewish people, to cross over. They were redeemed out of Egypt. You redeemed them. You brought them out of Egypt. Was it not God who brought them out of Egypt? He's not through with the Jews. Did He not take bring them out of Egypt? Did He not redeem them? Did He not bless them? Did He not defeat Pharaoh? Yes, indeed, He did. So, so, look at verse 11. Now look, look up here a second. He took verse 10... He went back to God redeeming Israel out of Egypt. Now he's going to make a so. Verse 11. He's going to make a, a comparison. So the redeemed of the Lord will return. They'll come back to the land. That's the kingdom. He's going to bring the Jews back. He's already started the process. Do you all realize he started the process already? The nation of Israel has been founded. The Jewish people have returned. And what a blessing to me from around 1970 to 1985 or 88 or whatever. I, I had uh, 23 trips to Israel. I watched the growth over those, over those over 20 years. Watched the changes that took place in Israel. What God did for the Jewish people. I uh, was in combat with the, 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 the Jews up on uh, uh, the Canadian Plains, up in, uh, up in uh, the, the north part of Israel during the Yom Kippur War. I saw the young Jewish kids who were filthy because they couldn't get baths and had flak vests on. They could not go home. We're standing up there and the, the, the Syrians uh, every every day dropped shells on them. Uh, hated them. Tried to destroy the Jewish people during the, the Yom Kippur War. Was it not you who dried up the sea? The waters of the great deep who made the, the depths of the sea a pathway for the redeemed, the Jews to cross over. So the redeemed, so, so, the, excuse me, the ransom. So the ransom of the Lord will return. And they will come with joyful shouting to Zion. And everlasting joy will be on their heads. They will obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Look, sorrow and sighing will flee away. My first trip to Israel was 1970. I'll never forget it was on LL Airlines, and you've heard a lot uh, in the news uh, the last few days about uh, the padding down and uh, all the security that we do. And um, my, my trips to Israel, I think 13 of those was producing documentary films. And so I was taking a team of about five different men with me, and we had 20 boxes of camera gear, um, uh, uh, film, light cases, sound cases, and I had to contact the, uh, uh, the uh, uh, Consul General of Israel in Houston, told them we were coming, 
told them how many boxes they're going to have, told them how many men I was going to have, I had to give all the names of all the men with me. And so we got to LL Airlines at, uh, in New York and uh, I said, okay, spread the boxes out, guys, open the boxes. And they knew I was coming, they knew my name, they knew the names of all the men with me, they knew what was in the boxes, they had us open all the boxes, open all the cameras. Uh, they knew exactly what we were, what we were about, and what we were doing, and where we were going, and why. They knew precisely. By the way, on that trip, uh, my first trip, uh, in those days, you would fly to New York and spend the night in New York and then catch El Al next morning. Well, we were at a hotel in New York and uh, we were getting ready to leave the hotel, go to the airport. And into the lobby of the hotel came 20 men and they had pilot jackets on, but there was nothing that identified what, what Air Force. They had kind of pilot's jackets. And I don't know how to explain this, but these 20 guys, they just looked smart. <laughs> I mean, they looked like their IQ was about 180. They looked intelligent. And I was standing there watching them, and I had a couple of guys with me, and I said, see those guys over there? Yeah. I said, I'm going to bet you $100 that they are Israeli pilots, Air Force. And so we kind of moseyed over toward them, and I said, are you guys from Israel? Yes, we're from Israel. I said, you're in the Air Force? Yes, we're in the Air Force. I guessed it right. They just had a smartness about them. They had a look about them. They carried themselves a certain way. And by the way, the pilots in Israel, they start, before you become a pilot in the Israel Air Force, you start at 14. At 14, they take the smartest kids in high school and they start putting them aside. And they start putting them through science courses. And then they, they, they teach them uh, how to fly small planes. And then they take them into the Air Force, put them to the Air Force Academy. And so very early, even in high school, they put them aside and uh, they create their pilots from that pool. Of, of young guys and boy are they, are they that's why one pilot is worth 20 air pilots <laughs> they just can't they can't whip the they can't whip the Israelis and by the way God did that to them I'm not saying this to just say they're that they're smart or better than anybody else is automatically God did this to protect them God God has caused certain things to happen in their culture that he has used as a form of protection uh, of the Jewish people and which uh, which has been part of their survival in other words their survival is it's from God, and yet he did it in certain ways by the way he has, has, has caused the Jewish people to come forward uh, in all these past, the past years after they came into the land. By the way, the word Sabra means cactus. And Sabra is a, uh, someone who's been, who was born in the land. They are Sabra, it means cactus. And I've been to Sam's and seen boxes of uh, fruit and vegetable from Israel, and it'll say products of Sabra, Israel means cactus. And uh, the cactus um, is the, the person born in Israel because he is uh, to be, he, was, he is sweet inside and prickly on the outside. So they're called Sabra. Alright, flip over to chapter 52. Well, we did, we did 52 last week with, with the Raj. Well, yes, huh? Before we leave 51, is that from 17 to the end, it looks like he's talking about uh, the remnant and the tribulation. Is that Probably so. Probably so. I didn't. I didn't go through it to get real carefully because I wasn't going to cover that tonight. Okay. Probably so. I probably have to look at it more carefully. They'll say that though. Probably so. All right. Fifty-two and fifty-three. Raj covered. Uh, Come over to fifty-four. Fifty-four. Uh, fifty-four. Israel is seen as a 
childless wife, a wife without children. That is, Israel, God protected as his wife, if you will, but their children, uh, but no children were born. That is, uh, the, the later Jews who came forth did not trust in God. They were, uh, Israel, the founding of Israel, they were childless. So Israel was childless because of lack of belief. Lack of belief. Chapter 54 and verse 1. Shout for joy, O barren one, wife who does not have any children. You have, you have borne no child. Break forth into joy, shouting and cry aloud, you who have not travailed in childbirth. Uh, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is the, the wife of Israel, but no children. For the sons of the desolate one, that is the wife of the Lord who has no children, the sons of the desolate one will be more numerous than the sons of the married woman, says the Lord. What's going on here? What's saying is this. That Israel is God's wife, but Israel was barren. And by that, the passage means that uh, there was no spiritual birth that followed in, in later generations. But guess what? That's going to turn out to be a kind of a blessing. Because the barren one, Israel without any children, is going to have a great numerous company of children, spiritual children, who will someday be born and will accept the Lord and come to the Lord. And so, so guess what? The sons of the desolate one, that is the wife of the Lord, who has no children, no spiritual children, will be more numerous than the sons of the married woman. In other words, a day is coming in which a great company of spiritual children will be born to the wife of the Lord. Many, many Jews will come to God that had, in the past had not come to God, come to Him. And that's been the last 2,000 years. The Jews have not been in belief. Uh, they have not been in belief. Um, they, they have not accepted the Lord and His the sacrifice of Christ. But it's going to happen. And it's beginning to happen. We keep talking about that here in this church. That uh, And Jeff Gutterman is in, in contact with with believing Jews who are born from the barren one, but they're born spiritually. They're coming to the Lord now. These children are coming to the Lord. And there's going to be a great company. That numbers are going to, it's going to grow and grow and grow of Jews who believe in the Lord. For 2,000 years, they've not believed in the Lord. And now they're going to come and believe in the Lord. Um, by the way, I have a book at home. Lacey and I have some books called Chatterboxes. And they were produced in England. And they're little reading books for the children to read on Sunday afternoons. They were written about 1897 called Chatterboxes. And one of the stories in one of the Chatterboxes is about Disraeli. Benjamin Disraeli was a Jew. And uh, he, his family became believers, quote unquote, you know, truly was Disraeli, truly born again, that may be a question. And then he joined the church. But very interesting in this little, in this little story about Benjamin Disraeli in his chatterbox, it called him the Jew boy. <laughs> and it said that Disraeli was the Jew boy who accepted the Lord, but, but kids beat up on him as he was growing up. And kids didn't like him and beat up on him. Uh, but he was, the, he was the Jew boy. 
And that's true. And he had to disrobe and became prime minister of England. And um, uh, the English law was that no one could be prime minister unless they were Christians. And so Disraeli, his family, and he claimed to be Christians. Were they truly born again? Another question. Maybe we can't, we can't figure that out this side of heaven. Now, Verse 4. Mm -hmm. Yes. i got to tell you this. He stood up before Parliament and he said, Gentlemen, because they opposed him. Right, they opposed him originally. Yes, they did. When your ancestors were still swinging from trees, mine were writing the scripture. <laughs> Some of you didn't hear, hear what she said. Desiree stood up in Parliament and said, Gentlemen, while your ancestors were swinging in trees, my ancestors were writing the scriptures. <laughs> writing the scriptures. <laughs> he fought back. He fought back and he was, uh, he was appointed as, uh, as Prime Minister Desiree. Verse 4, Fear not, for you will not be put to shame. That is, these children born, spiritually born to the wife of, of Jehovah, fear not, you will not be put to shame, neither feel humiliated, for you will not be disgraced, but you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more, for your husband is your maker. Excuse me, this is referring, this is writing to the wife. The, 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 uh, the Jewish people who will be the wife of Jehovah. Let's read it again. Fear not. You will not be put to shame. Wife of Jehovah. Neither feel humiliated, for you will not be disgraced. You will not, you, but you will, you will forget the shame of your youth, O wife of Jehovah, and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more, for your husband is your maker. He is your maker whose name is the Lord of hosts and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel who is called the God of all the earth. For the Lord has called you like a wife forsaken and grieved in spirit even like a wife of one's, of one's youth when she is rejected, says your, says your God. For a brief moment I forsook you Wife of Jehovah, the Jewish people, I forsook you. I forsook you. But with great compassion, I will gather you. The kingdom, the kingdom. I'll bring you back to your homeland. I'll bring you back to your homeland. In an outburst of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment. But with everlasting loving kindness, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. The Lord, your Redeemer. Redeemer. Come down to verse 10. Verse 10. Middle of verse 10. My loving kindness will not be removed from you. Speaking to the Jewish people, my covenant of peace will not be shaken, says the Lord who has compassion on you. God is going to restore Israel. We're seeing that compassion begin to take place. We're seeing God begin to work again with the Jewish people. But by the way, to enter the kingdom... To enter the kingdom, for the kingdom to come and Christ to reign, the world will go through the horror of the tribulation. The seven-year tribulation must come first. And we, the church, will be out of here. We'll be raptured out of here. Why are we taken out of here? So that we will not go under the wrath of God. Take your Bibles and flip back to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians. This is written to the church, of course, but... Uh, we the church will not face 
the wrath of God. Second Thessalonians. Pardon me, excuse me, first Thessalonians chapter five. First Thess five. First Thess five. Verse nine. God has not destined us, Paul writing. God has not destined us to wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are not destined for the wrath. By the way, in the Greek text, it better reads this way. He has not placed us in the wrath, or, or destined us for the wrath, or placed us in the wrath. We are not to be placed in this wrath, but we will obtain deliverance. Now go to chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians, verse 10. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. Paul said this to the Thessalonian church. Verse 10. He commends the Thessalonians. Chapter 1, verse 10. Because they are waiting for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, that is Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. From the wrath to come. The church will not go under the wrath. We will not go under the wrath. But, the, but uh, the nation of Israel will. That will be part of the cleansing for the, for the Jewish people who have not believed and the nations who have not believed. There will be the cleansing of the wrath of God. The wrath of God will come forth. In chapter 54, verse 8, this outburst of anger, that this would be part of the, the wrath of God. Um, look at uh, chapter 54. And uh, let's see... Um, no, I think we finished that. We finished that. Look at chapter 55. Go to chapter 55. Verse 1. This is the salvation that will come with the kingdom. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk. Without money and without cost. Come and experience the grace of God. Verse 3. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live, and I'll make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. He's talking to the Jewish people. Come, come and accept the, the, the salvation and the blessing that I have for you. It's God's appealing to the Jewish people. Come that you may live, and I will make an eternal covenant with you. Come down to verse 6, uh, verse, verse 7, verse 7, 55, 7. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the, uh, the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. And then God says this in verse 8, a famous verse, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bear and, and making it bear and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the manner for which I sent it.
God's word will cause the Jews to prick up their ears and to hear uh, the Lord and they will return to him. They will come to him uh, when the kingdom is established. Verse 1 of chapter 56. Thus says the Lord, preserve justice and do righteousness. For my salvation is about to come and my righteousness is about to be revealed. My righteousness is about to be revealed. Come on over to chapter um, 57 and verse 18, 57, 18. Here he's talking to Israel the sinner. That's the sinner in Israel, the Jewish sinner. But also he will be speaking also concerning the Gentiles. Chapter 57, verse 18. I have seen the sinner's ways. If you go back to the verses just before, he's talking about the sinner's. The sinner. I have seen the sinner's ways, and I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and to his mourners, creating the praise of the, of the lips. Peace, peace to him who is far that is the Gentiles who are far away, and to him who is near, the Jew who is near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. But the wicked are like the tossing sea. By the way, verse 20, uh, I memorized that as a 12-year-old kid. Verse 20, the wicked are like the troubled sea. It cannot be quiet. Its waters toss up. The King James says, mire and dirt, <laughs> refuse and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. But the wicked are to come to him. And I think when it says the, the one who's far off, that's probably a reference to the Gentiles. Some believe it's Jews who are far away. Jews who are living in other countries. Could be. But very possibly it's for the Gentile. Peace to the one who's far off, the Gentile, the one who's near, the Jew. Could be. And I will hear him, or heal him. And But the wicked are like the tossing sea. It cannot be quiet. Its waters toss up refuge and mud. There is no peace for the wicked, says my God. All right, come over to chapter 59 and verse 20. And I've got some guys who are going to read the verses about the Redeemer. In most of the references in Isaiah, the Redeemer is the Messiah, Jesus. Look at chapter 59, and let's start at verse, verse 20. 59, 20. Christ is the only Redeemer. And it is God who is searching for man. I'm reading the... Uh, the Schofield notes on this paragraph, and this is a good note. God is searching for man, and Christ is the only Redeemer. Verse 20. A Redeemer will come to Zion, Israel, the Jewish people. And the Redeemer will come to those who turn from transgression in Israel, or in, in Jacob, declares the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit which is upon you and my words which I will put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your offspring, nor from the mouth of your offspring's offspring, says the Lord, from now and forever. By the way, Dr. Fruchtenbaum believes that verse 21 is, is speaking to the Jewish people, which it is, but saying that the Jewish people in the kingdom, in the kingdom, all of their children will be born again, and the next generation will be born again, and the next generation will be born again. Uh, sounds very possible from this verse. Look at it again. The spirit that's upon you, my words, uh, my, the words which I put in your mouth won't depart from your mouth, 
nor from your offspring's mouth, nor from your offspring's offspring's mouth. And it sounds like that that's what's going on here, that the Jewish people in the kingdom will be perpetually born again and the next generation is born again and so forth and so on. Now look at the word redeemer in verse 20. The word redeemer. The re word redeemer is goal. Write this down. G-O, then put a, an apostrophe, and then A-L. Goal. Goal. A goal. That's the word for redemption or redeemer. The goal. It's used 13 times here in the book of Isaiah. Now keep your finger here and go to Romans chapter 11, verse 26. Romans 11, 26. And guess who the Redeemer is? It is Christ. Because Paul quotes this verse straight on uh, in Romans chapter 11, verse 26. Romans 11, 26. So let's go to Romans 11, 26. And here's what we read. Thus all Israel will be saved. Now wait a minute. If Dr. Fruchterbaum is correct, verse 21 says that the Spirit will be upon uh, in the mouth of this one and then the next generation, the next generation, the next generation. Could it be that verse 26 that starts out, thus all Israel will be saved, is talking about that? That the Jews who come into the kingdom, their children will be saved, their children's children will be saved, etc., 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 all Israel will be saved. Then Paul quotes this passage. He quotes the verse we just read, 59-20. Uh, just as it's written, the Deliverer or the Redeemer will come from Zion. He'll remove ungodliness from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. By the way, the last part of verse 27 is from Jeremiah 31. Now look up here a second. Paul puts two verses together. He puts two verses together. He puts chapter 59 and verse 20 together. And then he takes Jeremiah 31, verse 33, and verse 27. So he takes one passage from Isaiah and one passage from Jeremiah. He puts the two together. So let's read the two together again. Thus all Israel will be saved, as it's written. The deliverer or the redeemer. The redeemer will come from Zion. Quoting Isaiah 59, he'll remove ungodliness from Israel or Jacob. And verse 27, this comes from Jeremiah 31, this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Jeremiah 31, which is the new covenant, by the way. That's the new covenant. That's the new covenant, Jeremiah 31. Uh, go back to Isaiah and then flip back to Jeremiah 31. Let's see the new covenant. And by the way, you and I are blessed today by the New Covenant, but we do not fulfill the New Covenant. Jeremiah 31, and start at verse 31. This is what the Paul's quoting. Jeremiah 31, 31. The Covenant, the New Covenant. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant, the new covenant, which I make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I'll put my law within them. On their hearts, I'll write it. 
and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They shall not teach again every man his neighbor, and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. They will all know me. From the least to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity. This is what Paul quotes. And their sin I will remember no more. That's the new covenant. You and I are today are blessed by the new covenant. What do we get from the new covenant? Forgiveness of sins. What do we get from the new covenant? The Spirit of God. But we don't, we don't fulfill the new covenant. The Jews will fulfill it when they are back in the land. And uh, chapter 59 of Isaiah is when they are back in the land. Okay? When they're back in the land. Now, uh, I've asked some, some, some guys to read uh, the different verses on the Redeemer from uh, Isaiah. Uh, uh, Butch, would you read? The, the, he's he's going to, you probably won't have a chance to, to flip over to all the verses. He's going to read five of the verses in Isaiah that speak of the Redeemer, who's Christ. Okay, Butch. Okay, 41.14. 41.14. Do not fear, you worm Jacob, you men of Israel. I will help you, declares the Lord. And your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Next verse. And 43.14. 43.14. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake I have sent to Babylon, and will bring them down as fugitives, even the Chaldeans, into the ships in which they rejoice. And did you mention Redeemer? Did that? Did they mention Redeemer, right? Did it? I wasn't. I was listening. Did it? Yeah. Got got tuned down. <laughs> All right, the yeah, next first, one. First okay, sorry. Third, third, for third one. Forty-four six. Forty-four six. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of Hosts. I am the first, and I am the last, and there is no God besides me. Notice what it says: the Lord is speaking, and His Redeemer. The Lord and His Redeemer. Okay, that's the Messiah. That's Jesus. The Lord and His Redeemer. Next verse. Forty-four twenty-four. Forty-four twenty-four. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, and the one who formed you from the womb. I, the Lord, am the maker of all things, stretching out the heavens by myself and spreading out the earth all alone. Now notice there it just says, I'm the Redeemer. But that would still be Christ. I'm the Redeemer. I'm the one who creates the heavens. And by the way, Paul picks that up in Colossians. <laughs> Paul says that Jesus has created all things. He's created all things. He's, he's the Redeemer. But as that verse said, the Redeemer has created all things. And then Christ is the Redeemer, Paul says, in, of the Creator, and Paul says in, in, in Colossians. Do you have any more? Is that all you had? Okay, Dave, Dave again. Dave? Uh, 47.4. 47.4. As for our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is His name, the Holy One of Israel. The Holy One of Israel. Next one. 48.17. 48.17. Thus says the Lord your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you by the way you should go. This is Christ. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. Next one. And the last one's 49.7. 49.7. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, their Holy One, to him whom man despises, to him whom the nation abhors, to the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes also shall worship, because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel. As he has chosen you. Notice what it says. That they despise him. That's what Psalm 2 says. They despise God. They despise his, his anointed one, Christ. The world hates Christ. The world hates God. Dave Ford. Dave? 49.26. 49.26. 
I will feed your oppressors with their own flesh, and they will become drunk with their own blood as with sweet wine. And all flesh will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Savior and Redeemer. Okay, next one. Fifty-four five. Fifty-four five. For your husband is your maker, whose name is the Lord of hosts, and your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, who is called the God of all the earth. Wow, the God of all the Christ is called that. That's what Paul says in Colossians. Next one. Fifty-nine twenty. Fifty-nine twenty. A redeemer will come to Zion, and to those who turn from transgression in Jacob, declares the Lord. Okay, next. 6016. 6016. 6016. 60, 60, you will also suck the milk of nations and suck the breast of kings. Then you will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. Wow. Okay, next. 6316. 6316. For you are our Father, so Abraham does not know us, and Israel does not recognize us. You, O Lord, are our Father, our Redeemer, from of old is your name. Mercy. Next one. 6316 is the last one I have. Okay, that was the last one. Okay. All right. The Redeemer in this passage is, is Christ. The Redeemer over and over again in Isaiah is the Lord. Let's stop here for a break, okay?